I joined one of these world-class firms that I really respect. I have a nice steady paycheck. I have security. I got, you know, my firm was purchased. I have some cash in my pocket. But what happens if this isn't a firm that I want to be with anymore? There's some scandal or something I, I don't know about. And right now I can control my ship. We're not going to do anything stupid. And so I can control a lot of that risk. So it just makes me nervous to be exposed to that risk. What is up, you sexy bastards? It's your boy, Fud Ty, a.k.a. Rabbi Can't Lose, a.k.a. Noah Kagan. Today, we are doing another experimental episode with Noah's Ark. This is where I'm talking with new and established businesses. We discuss for things to improve. They go and do it, and we all learn. I hope we don't fuck up their shit along the way, but it's been really interesting to do these episodes. Today's guest, I talk with Taylor Shute of You Stay Wealthy Podcast and Define Financial Consulting. So here's Taylor's dilemma. He's already making a bunch of buckaroos in San Diego in his day job. He runs a financial consulting business. But he wants to monetize his passion project, this podcast. So we spend 60 minutes of me insulting him and telling him to quit his job. And then, but no, for reals, we talk about how to solve his dilemma. So if you've ever had a main thing that's your main business and you want to figure out your side hustle, I think you'll love this episode. Or if you're just looking to grow a business in general. Here's three major concepts from today's episode. How to think about growing your business and hiring a CEO so it can grow without you. Kind of like what I was able to do with AppSumo. Number two, how most innovation comes from limitations. So we talk about that. And number three, how to get the fuck out of your own way. There's going to be those three things plus a bunch more surprises along the way. Enjoy. Really quickly before we jump into these Noah's Ark, please let me know what you think of them. Send me an email podcast at okdork.com and let me know what you think of this episode. As well, I think we have a few more spots left. Come bike ride with me. Even if you're not a hardcore bike rider, September 14th in Austin, Texas, sumoride.com. That's sumoride.com. All the money goes to buy laptops for kids. It's basically a huge ass party with margaritas and tacos, but we also end up bike riding and it's all for a great cause. Come join me, sumoride.com. That's in September 14th, I believe in Austin, Texas. I'll see y'all there. Yeehaw. All right. So we've got 45 minutes-ish on Noah's Ark. I'm super pumped to be able to help you out. What we can do is talk about where you're at now, the biggest challenge, what you're doing about it. And then we can talk about the next steps to actually keep improving things in terms of what we're doing. So your website, so we can call it out for everyone to go check out. Websites, youstaywealthy.com. Maybe give a background on the site and where it's at now. I started the site maybe two and a half, three years ago. It started as kind of a hyper local site. It was actually called Stay Wealthy San Diego. I decided I was having some trouble marketing it. So I decided to chop off San Diego, broaden the reach and rebrand it as Stay Wealthy. Yeah, it's called youstaywealthy.com. And I own a financial planning firm in San Diego. That's kind of my main line of business. And as you know, there's only so much time in the day. There's only so many people I can help. So I started this platform as a way to reach a larger audience, educate more people, help more people, because I, I can't work with everybody every single day. So that was the initial goal. It started out initially as a written blog. I realized I'm not the best writer. I enjoy writing, but I'm not the best writer. I prefer voice. I prefer podcasting. So I started a podcast called Stay Wealthy, and that's grown substantially since I started. And how have you been able to grow it? Oh, geez. Well, the first thing is just consistency, just sticking with it. You know, I was really down on myself the first 12 months or so with 50 downloads, 100 downloads. So I just stuck with it. I stayed consistent. I think two things really helped start to in improve listenership. One was getting really specific on who I'm talking to, like who is my avatar? What does that person look like? Who is that? Right now, it's uh, somebody who's, I'd say 45 plus, you know, approximate liquid net worth is a million dollars or more, 
focused on retirement. Maybe they're not ready to retire today. Maybe they're not sure if they'll ever retire, but they want to know that they have the ability to retire at some point. So retirement is kind of top of mind. And so as soon as I started shifting the content to be more retirement focused and using the word retirement and branding it as a retirement podcast, I saw it almost start to change immediately. So that's the first thing I did. And then the second was I took a lot of things that I learned in kind of the blogging world and I started to kind of do the same thing in the podcasting world, writing some articles, collaborating with other podcasters, improving the show notes pages and optimizing those for Google search. And that started to ramp things up as well. And so maybe taking one step sideways, you make your most of your income doing live consulting or live financial planning in San Diego? All of my income. So the Stay Wealthy platform generates zero revenue whatsoever. And that was kind of like the idea early on. I was like, you know, I'm just going to do this as like a way to, to help more people and get good information in people's hands. I'm not interested in monetizing it. But two, three years later, I'm like, I've put a lot of time <laughs> and my own money and investment into this platform. And it's really beneficial. Like, I feel like I should be compensated for my, my time and expertise. Maybe ballpark your six, seven figures on or five figures on the financial planning in San Diego. Mid to high six figures. Damn, bro. Yeah, maybe I'll come work for you. <laughs> nice. Yeah. That's awesome. And then stay wealthy is at zero. At zero. Okay. And how do most of these clients find you? Over 50% of our new clients on the financial planning firm find us online. How? Through Google search. So uh, we rank really, really, really well for keywords like San Diego Financial Planner, San Diego Financial Advisor, all the different iterations of, of those words. And I think we've just done some really good things on our website to make that journey really easy for them laying out you know, our process and steps and, and making it really easy for them to take that first step. So what's your firm called in San Diego? The firm's called Define Financial. Man, you're like number, you're number two. I've got like multiple sites on the first page of Google. I think I have a blog post that's even on there as well. So we're extremely visible on Google. You're doing awesome. I'm proud. <laughs> you don't need me to be proud of you, but that, that's six figure businesses that you're, you know, you're doing great for yourself. Thanks. I appreciate that. Why do you give a shit to actually grow the podcast and that money when you could potentially just grow the San Diego money? Well, you know, we work with about 60 households in Southern California, and I love my 60 households. I'd say I probably have capacity for maybe 40 more. There's a lot of other things that interest me and excite me. I, I don't know that I just want to be doing financial planning all day long for 200, 300 families. I'm also not sure that I want to, you know, ramp things up and hire more advisors and, and really grow the practice. I'm kind of interested in having multiple streams of income. And if there's a way for me to monetize the Stay Wealthy platform, if I'm offering courses or, you know, if I have a sponsor, I, I don't know, we can explore kind of what those options are. Having multiple streams of income, diversifying my own kind of personal portfolio. And plus, I just have a lot of fun with it. So yeah, I think that's the answer. Obviously, you love the firm and you like, you've been doing it, it sounds like for quite a little bit of a while. Just over 12 years. Damn, dude. Is it weird though? Cause you're a young, good looking dude, like that you're helping these older people out or is it, do you have all these like single old women? I do work with an older demographic. Most of our clients are over the age of 50. You know, I got over the age thing maybe six or seven years ago. I started right. I'm, I'm 34 years old. I started at 22. So I started day one out of school at a really large brokerage firm, you know, starting to take on clients. And in the beginning, yeah, I, mean, I was 22, 23. People were like, no way, I'm, no way I'm trusting you with my money. But I battled through it. And I think as soon as I kind of just got over the age thing, I'm like, I actually spun it as it's a benefit, right? Like some of these advisors that have been doing it for 30 or 40 years, they're kind of stuck in the old way of doing things. And so kind of changing the perception of it and saying, I actually think it's to your benefit that I'm younger. That started to really help. So instead of spending the whole show talking about how good looking you are, which, which <laughs> I definitely could, 
let's just say, you know, it's June 5th, June 6th. If you could spend your whole day tomorrow doing whatever you wanted, more around professional stuff, walk me through that day. Like I said, I love my clients. I love working with clients. So having one or two meetings with a new potential client or an existing client is really energizing for me. Outside of that, I love, love marketing. You know, you and I have gone back and forth in some emails, like I'm, I'm a marketing geek. So I like getting my hands in the SEO stuff, trying different marketing experiments, you know, failing, pivoting, trying again. So I love tinkering with that type of stuff. And I really enjoy podcasting. It's a good excuse to reach out to really smart, talented people, interview them, ask them good questions and learn it. Even if I'm doing a monologue episode, I'm doing a lot of research and learning along the way. So doing some podcasting, geek it out on some, you know, online marketing type stuff and, and you know, having a couple of meetings would be probably the perfect day for me. How many people uh, work in your firm? There's three of us. We're lean and mean. Who are the other two? I have a lead financial planner, John Luskin, and then uh, a client service associate who's really the glue to the firm. Her name's Karen Jackson. And for the 60 people, is it you or is it Karen or John? The clients are clients of the firm. We service all 60 of those households. All three of you do? Yes. Yeah. Okay. You're a financial planner. Let me just give you two scenarios. Someone comes to you and be like, hey, John, I've got these two investments. One is making a shit ton of money. It's working and I can grow it. This other one is a lot of fun. It's got no money. It's got nothing proven, but it might make money in the future. What would you advise your clients to do? <laughs> yeah, it's a tough one because no, it's not tough. I just go back to this: like, what do you enjoy doing, and what are you really good at? And you know, although this this other platform doesn't generate income, and it may generate income in the future, like, come on, you're advising your clients. <laughs> if they said they have something, it's never made any money. It might make money. It should probably. There's other people making money later. Yeah. Or this one that's like for sure, it's already big. It's going to get a lot bigger. Which one would you likely recommend for your clients? I just want to hear you say it. The one that's currently making money and that's profitable. So I think there's two key things that we can work on today. Okay. I think there's two key things. Number one, I th we need to figure out with your firm how to remove you from the growth of it. Okay. So that it can keep growing. And you could still do one or two clients, but find someone who's like, I love running companies and I want to grow this thing. You're going to keep make actually the pile get bigger and you're going to make even a lot more money. And in the interim, you can also get your podcast making being coming profitable and potentially eventually larger than the firm. Okay. I can't recommend to you to focus on the podcast or even do anything on the podcast until you have someone running the firm. So are you talking about like a, a second owner or a CEO type person? Whoever. So I personally like people that are already fans or customers of the business to kind of come in and help run it. Okay. Either the other person, is it John and Karen? Correct. This is obviously a bigger discussion, but I think this is the stuff that is more important for you. How do you get, is it potentially John or Karen to step up and run the business? And then you say, all right, this quarter, you said you can handle 40 more clients, right? Put them on in charge of that. And then they have to hire their replacement. I would say either do that, or you need to start now looking for your replacement that will actually grow the firm. The latter is probably more fitting if we really went down that path and it's no, you know, no offense to John or Karen. So the way I hired was looking for people that are good at things that I'm not good at. You know, what are they good at? What do they enjoy doing? How can we have them do that all day long? So John, for instance, John likes to hide behind the computer and, and geek out on financial planning stuff. He just wants to do financial plans all day long for clients. That's it. He doesn't want to grow the practice. He doesn't want to be responsible for business development. He hates marketing. But he's really, really smart and he's a really talented financial planner. So that's what he wants to do all day long. Karen loves interfacing with our clients, helping them get onboarded. Customer service is her expertise, but running a firm and being a CEO is probably not on her list. So that's just kind of how I've hired and put the firm together. And it works really well, except for the problem that we're trying to solve today. It's a great problem too. So I mean, all businesses is different problems and then figuring out the priority order. That's my business, your business, and every other person who's listening's business as well. 
maybe my question is what's wrong with my current business that we're trying to fix? Look, this doesn't impact me. I don't make any money off you. <laughs> and <laughs> right. I'm not an investor or anything with you more just as a I'm becoming a friend or someone that that's, uh, knows you a little bit. I don't think you can really grow and make money on the podcast uh-huh. if you're still stuck with the financial planning from the majority of your time, number one. And number two, I don't think the podcast, until we start validating it, makes a lot of sense to really start investing more in it. it. sounds like you've already put a lot into it. Yeah. Second thing is that you already have this thing working. Why not just build it to become a bigger system, a bigger foundation so that you don't even have to make money with your podcast if you don't even want to? Sure. I'll even tell you my own story, which is like AppSumo was great. And I got it to about $4 million revenue. And I just couldn't get it bigger myself with the team I was at. And so it took me almost two years to bring someone on who now has taken it and multiplied that significantly. And that's given me oxygen to do my podcast, which doesn't make any money, but I just love doing it. Similar, It sounds like similar to you. And also work on other products that do make money, but it, I can have a lot more freedom and flexibility to experiment with that. I think your original thing was like, let me just try to monetize my podcast. And you're at zero. And I think the hard part, especially for someone like yourself, is you're like, well, I could put more time in the podcast and make a little bit of money, but this firm makes a lot of money. So it's better use of my time to still spend on the firm. Yeah, except for, yeah, the, the firm is just really labor intensive. I understand, you know, you're saying, well, if we could remove you and, and get somebody else to run it and grow it, you wouldn't have to trade time for money every single day. There's something just appealing to me to be able to have, again, a second platform, diversification of income and something maybe a little bit more passive. I mean, I hate the term passive income, but it doesn't require me to sit in an office all day and, and hold face-to-face meetings. So you just don't want to have to be giving your time for money, right? But you still want to get paid the same amount? I guess I'd like to be paid in a few different ways. Again, I just go back to just having a few different streams of income. I feel like I have a lot of risk. I mean, my entire financial life is invested in this one firm and there's a lot of risk on the table. And I just thought kind of diversifying outside of that. And if I could find ways to, you know, I shared with you, you know, I went out and spoke in New Orleans the other day. I didn't get paid to speak, but they paid for travel. But what if I could get paid to speak? What if I could take this platform, this podcast, this standalone blog and find a way to monetize that and generate some income and just create some more freedom for myself, I guess. And and again, while having fun doing it. I mean, I'm sure there's some debate about more streams better, less streams better. What is your hesitation with hiring someone so that they run the business and, keep, and actually grow it more so than, than, than you are right now? Because the fact that you're distracted with the podcast and other things, yeah, that's not profitable and you're actually, it's a spend, it's not an investment yet. Right. What's your hesitation on going that way? It's probably just, you know, letting go of these things. You know, this firm is my baby. Like I said, I've, I've poured everything into it. I've invested a lot of money, a lot of time. And to step aside and have somebody else take on my role or a big part of my role is really scary. And it's just what you're bringing up right now is I've never even thought about it. So it's making this conversation challenging. But I think that's what makes it hard is like, I can't imagine someone else doing my job. Like, this is my job. This is my baby. And then again, I just go back to like, I don't know how big I want the firm to be. I kind of like the idea of this highly profitable, really enjoyable financial planning firm. And there's three or four of us here and we've got 100 clients and we're doing a really good job. I mean, things are humming along really, really smoothly right now, and, which allows me time to try some other things and just kind of get outside this financial planning bubble and do something a little bit different. You know, one of the interesting things is initially I started the Stay Wealthy brand I thought is a way to generate more business for Define Financial. What I found out with Stay Wealthy through the podcast and the blog and all of that is most of the audience is actually do-it-yourselfers. So <laughs> they're not actually looking to hire a wealth manager. They're looking for information on how they can do it themselves, which is great. It's good to know that, but it certainly doesn't really help the business grow. And that's why I've started to pivot and think, okay, well, how could I help these do-it-yourselfers? You know, What could I offer them that would compensate me for my time? 
and again, kind of diversify my income a little bit. Yeah, that was one thing interesting that I kind of found out recently. Maybe I can make one more comment on the firm since, you know, initially when I reached out about this, I was leaving the firm out of it and just focusing on this other platform. But one of the things that I've worked hard on over the last two years with the firm is transitioning clients that weren't really a good fit for us and only focusing on clients that are a good fit for us. So I've really just cleaned up the practice and made it really, really, really efficient and really profitable. And again, that's why I feel like things are just humming along really, really nicely. We have all the pieces in place. And that's why, again, it's just I, I started to think about what else could I do separately to start to, yeah, do something a little bit different, diversify, have fun, try something new. Yeah. Let's do three separate things. So number one is you want to de-risk. Number two is you want to make some new side money or monetize this thing that you've been working on. Yep. And number three is that it sounds like you want to reduce certain time aspects in the firm. So maybe not leave it completely. Because I think one thing you're missing out with reducing the time is what if your firm could keep growing overnight? And the reason it's not growing overnight is because you're spending that time on your podcast and other things, which is great because that's what you want to do. But what if there was someone focused on growing that? Mm -hmm. Because it is working. So for me, I think one of the things I I took away from the earlier show we were talking with Museum Hack was what's working, this firm? Why don't we do more of it? And let's just do more of what's already working. Right. What can we either reduce your time? Like who can you hire or what can you do software wise to reduce the things you don't want to do in the firm that will actually help it keep growing in that same amount of time? I think the problem with, and this is not your problem necessarily, but the problem with a lot of people is they're like, how do I make money on my podcast? I'm like, you don't. Yeah. You go make a lot more money on this firm that's making a shit ton of money. You just double that one. Yeah. And the podcast, just be okay. It doesn't make money and keep it as a hobby for now. If you're thinking about de-risking, it's like, all right, well, how much money do you need to have a month that's de-risked? Yeah. Because then either A, you can sell part of your business. B, you can buy real estate or, you know, index funds or savings things that'll give you that amount. Yeah. So that you don't even have to worry about the passive income from a, a business like the podcast. This is something I think we should talk about. So I have a hard time thinking about hiring somebody else to come in here and, and take over my job. I've already shared that. Maybe a way, and this is a real question for you. I've had a couple of offers from some firms here in Southern California and other parts of the States that I, I really respect. They do a really, really, really good job. They're world-class firms. And what they'd like to do is buy my firm, kind of tuck me underneath their umbrella. They'd handle all the stuff that I hate doing and then allow me to focus on all these other things that I'm really good at and enjoy doing. So it would give me a nice paycheck, some security, but I would no longer own my firm, which is a little bit scary to me. So that's something that's kind of top of mind right now that could address some of these issues, but it's really scary for me to think about. So why haven't you done that? I've worked for other firms before starting my firm, and there is other risk that you get exposed to in working for other firms. You know, working for a really large firm with 20,000 other financial advisors, you're kind of treated like the lowest common denominator. If one person does something stupid, then you can no longer do that thing. Social media, blogging, writing, things like that, your hands are pretty tied. I've worked for smaller firms. And again, kind of one person has ruined it for the rest of us. You know, you kind of have to do what they say, do it their way. There are some compliance risks that we ran into. And then maybe the third is I joined one of these world-class firms that I really respect. I have a nice steady paycheck. I have security. I got, you know, my firm was purchased. I have some cash in my pocket. But what happens if that firm does something, you know, and all of a sudden, like, this isn't a firm that I want to be with anymore. There's some scandal or something I I don't know about. And right now I can control my ship. We're not going to do anything stupid. And so I can control a lot of that risk. So it just makes me nervous to be exposed to that risk. 
Taylor, I will say you're a damn good financial planner because you're conservative as hell, <laughs> which is what uh, most financial planners should be. It's like, yeah. Noah, let me tell you all the, the risks that are going to happen. There's, there's no upside, but there's a lot of downside protection I'm going to focus on. So I think what, with these calls was part of the challenge. And when I asked you if there's one thing we can do, the thing that you should do is the hard one, which is around your firm, the yeah. easy one, which is the podcast for the audience. The podcast was, hey, how do I just get more listeners? And it's like, you don't actually want more listeners. You need to make sure that you can make money mm -hmm. so that when you get more listeners, it makes sense for you. What you wanted is the podcast stuff, which I think, frankly, it's going to be easier and we can do a little bit of that. But what I'd like for you to do in the next four weeks, frankly, is take as an action item. You know, I think there's options A, B, C, or D. I think A is, could you sell the firm and de-risk your solution? So maybe you have a lot of cash, so you don't have to worry if they go down. Or maybe you still get control and they just basically provide some of the things you don't like doing in the firm. Mm -hmm. B, I think you don't have to hire a CEO because it sounds like you like your job. Do you have a full-time SEO person? Because I'm guessing it's you. I do everything. I know you do. So <laughs> could you hire someone full-time so that you're just like, hey, SEO and content is how we're, we've run this business. And if we do a lot more of it, we'll double the business and I don't have to do it anymore. Uh -huh. And they could just execute it for you. C, could you hire someone that's a CEO? and actually have them run the day-to-day -day and then you just kind of give advice, like kind of what I've done with AppSumo. Hired Eamon, he's the CEO. I meet with him once a week and we talk regularly and he, he does all the execution and, and planning and we discuss strategy and higher level things. I don't think we can solve that right now. I think you're definitely resistant, which is understandable. My takeaway for that we'll come back with in four weeks is I'd like for you to get to some resolution. Okay. And that resolution is either A, I'm just going to leave it where it is. B, I'm going to reduce the things I, I'm spending a lot of time on so I can not have to worry about it and the business grows. C, maybe sell. D, CEO. Maybe there's an E and F, but I think for you, it's running your financial models, which is what I'm sure you're going to do or uh, you know, plan it out uh -huh. and move forward in that clarity of decision. So I'm not trying to come up with excuses here, but I can't really hire a salesperson or a CEO because I don't have the money to do that. I have a, a family to feed and I've got two full-time employees. It's just literally not possible. Dude, all you have is things that are not going to work. Why am I the one that has to come up with all the solutions? So number one, I'm not trying to make your baby go hungry, dog. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know why you can't eat? It's because that Noah Kagan guy. <laughs> I'm just saying you need to move towards some clarity around that solution. Yeah. Number two, dude, you think when anyone starts a company, they have a shit ton of money? No. How do you be creative? Like I was thinking about this uh, two days ago. Most innovation comes through limitation. So how the hell do you find a, a content writer? Guess what? Use someone international from Upwork or Fiverr or wherever. Uh-huh. Or B, find someone that's in college that wants an internship. Or C, find someone that's a family member. Or D, pay them on results. Like, hey, I'll just, every new sale will give you 5%. Or I'll give you $100 for every new sale. Okay. With the CEO, tell him you don't have any money. So Chad, my business partner, he worked for free for a year. Wow. And now he makes a lot of money. I mean, it wasn't guaranteed, but you know, we were, we were homies and we liked each other and we trusted each other and we've worked together now almost 10 years and it did work out for him. But he took a risk and I took a risk. I guess I didn't take as much of a risk as he did, but we both took some risk yeah. and ended up working out. My suggestion is get clarity on what you could do to reduce your time on your, your thing that's working to double it or triple it or 10x it. So figure out the solution that you're most excited about and comfortable with okay. and figure out a creative way to make that happen. And I'd l I don't think in a month you're going to make that, you're going to execute the decision, but I'd like to you to come to terms on what decision that is. And if you could execute on it, even cooler, because then the show on the follow-up will be the most interesting. Okay. I guess that for me, it's to make the show most interesting. For you, it's to grow the business, reducing the things you don't want to be doing. One of the things that scares me about selling my practice, I don't own my business anymore. I'm no longer this entrepreneur. So how do you look at that? How do you suggest I start to think about that? Am I just too attached to my business? Is there something to be said for selling and focusing on these other things that I enjoy doing? Well, I think there's a few different things. So the label, I was talking with my friend last night at dinner, 
what does the label of entrepreneur mean? Like there's this whole ego thing. You know, I'm an entrepreneur or not. He's like, I'm not an entrepreneur. I'm like, did someone ever pay you for you creating something for them? He's like, yeah, I'm like, maybe you just need to do more of it. So it's full time. And then you're official, you know, the badge. I think with selling my my feedback is, what do you really want? Mm-hmm. So what I mean by that is uh, one of my advisors at Sumo was like, dude, why don't we get Sumo to be a $100 million business? You can sell it and then you could go buy a ranch. And I was like, well, if I sell it, then I have to work for someone and then I have to come to an office yep. or I just don't get to do this, which is basically I kind of, I, I'm getting, kind of getting paid to talk to you and hang out with you and help your company. Like, that's fucking awesome. I don't want to do anything else. Mm-hmm. So for me, the, the idea of selling is like, I'm going to get more money so I can, what, keep driving my Miata? And so I think for you, it's really like, what do you want? So if it is a certain amount of money, then selling is good. And then the label, that's really just an external pressure you're allowing on yourself. Sure. That's what it is. I don't want to sell because I want to keep working with these people. I don't want to boss. And I'm okay if we make less money doing the things we really want to do. Yeah. My suggestion with with the firm is not to make any drastic decision. I don't want you to come do that and fucking be mad at me. I'd be really, <laughs> I'd feel bad about that. I just think I want you to think through it so that you get to some level of convergence on that decision. I'm not a big drastic, like, let's go fucking crazy. I like test and invest. So if you're like, hey, I think just hiring a content writer will free up half my day or hiring a salesperson or hiring this person or paying for this will reduce my time and grow the business consistently. So it is more passive for me. That's what we need to figure out. How can you do some type of test around that in this month, not make it a big decision? Sure. I think some of these people are like, oh, I got to go crazy. I'm like, don't make it crazy. All right. If you think it's something like how can we do a smaller test of it to see if it actually is working so that then we can go further with that? With the podcast and this passive income side stuff, what I would like to do, I know your original question was, how do I grow my audience? What I would actually like to push back on you is how do we validate and start making some money from the content you're putting out and from your show to create that side stream so that you can start thinking, all right, this other one's actually making money, so I don't have to worry about it. So for instance, when we had AppSumo, the revenue was very inconsistent. That is why we created sumo.com so we could have consistent revenue. And once it got good enough, the sumo consistent revenue, I told, you know, the AppSumo team, me and Chad were like, yo, you guys can do whatever you want. And fortunately, they've done very well growing that business. But you are right. We did create something to have that. I also bought a little bit of real estate, some places. So I was like, okay, worst case scenario, I can go sleep in this office. So I do get that. But I want to focus with you on the stay wealthy part with the podcast and that. How can we in a sooner time frame, like within the next four weeks, validate making some money on it so that you know when you grow it or as you grow it, that it's going to be ROI positive? Well, like I mentioned to you, and I'd be curious to hear your thoughts. I'm always hesitant to monetize something too quickly. Like, are there some things that we can do today to put into place to build towards monetization? I don't want to monetize too quickly. I've been focused on kind of building my tribe first and kind of figuring out who they are and what they want and then monetizing. I'm more than happy to experiment and try something in a shorter time frame, but I also don't want it to come across as careless or really aggressive either. With your financial planning firm, did you give all the first customers free? No. Okay, so what, why is that different? Yeah, it's not different. That's a really good w- way to frame it. It's not I told you so or I'm trying to make you feel bad. I'm just trying to make you like, why do you give out all this free shit for free? Like I've never had f- f- restaurants give me free food. They give you free food because I want you to come back and eat there more. They give you a free sample of wine because I want you to drink more of it or buy the bottle. Well, I guess it's similar to the way you guys have done it with Sumo, right? Like give a bunch of value for free and then there's a way to pay and get even cooler stuff. You know, if you look at Instagram or YouTube or these things, like a lot of the biggest people spent two to three years just doing it for free. And now the Christian Guzman or PewDiePie or Phil DeFranco or any of these guys, they now are creating products many years later because they have a very, very large audience. I mean, same with Pat Flynn. I'm sure you're familiar with him. Pat started selling his leads course and then started selling other products and then starting selling sponsors. But I don't know the exact time frame, but relatively soon. So mm-hmm. my point is not to go and harass your audience and say, give me money all right, right now. Give me <laughs> your money. 
Right. My suggestion for you, and I want to actually have some some concrete action items that you'll do is just prove to yourself that you can make some money so that you know if you grow your audience that this isn't as a viable business. Okay. I like that. Have you tried anything? I've not tried anything in terms of making money, no. I know you're already doing well in your, your firm. Yep. And that's why I'm like, yo, go do more of the firm. <laughs> but I know we want to do the podcast, so let's stick with this. So maybe let's come up with five different things that you could potentially sell and we'll pick one or two for you to do this month. And generally, I like these limited timeframes because I do think this limitation creates innovation. Yeah. The limitation is like, yo, I don't, I don't have a month to make some money. What the hell am I going to do? And what I've told people, I like the $100 challenge. I know it's not a lot for you because you know, you're doing six-figure stuff and eventually seven-figure and hopefully eight. So what are things we could do to make $100, ideally today, but let's just say before the end of the month? And look, I'm not trying to have you go sell your whole audience and annoy the shit out of them, but I want to come with five and then we'll pick one and you'll actually go do it. The first one that comes to mind is obviously the, the real obvious one, which is an advertisement for the podcast. So that'd be one thing I could do. There are some organizations out there. There's probably a lot of synergy with my audience and their audience. For instance, I write for Kiplinger.com. I think there's some synergy there between yeah, their audience and mine. They would advertise on your podcast? Yeah. So you know, th this podcast is presented by or sponsored by. Your audience is 13,000 people a month? In the month of May, we, yeah, we had 13,000 downloads. That was when we hit the hockey stick. Like before that, it was just kind of like flat, flat, flat. And then like, boom. Huh, so what changed that to get so many more? Starting January, I just got more focused on who we're talking to, catering you know, the, the content to that demographic. And then I started to write some articles for Kiplinger and for some of the other publications I write for about the podcast and so getting some kind of press and PR around it. People are, as you know, like craving to find new podcasts and, and discoverability is really challenging. And so getting some of these articles out there in front of people was, was really helpful. It kind of blew my mind, to be honest. So this article on Kipling, your top five retirement podcasts everyone should listen to, how convenient you put yours there. <laughs> I, I did catch some flack for that. But, you know, I mean, I'm just out there trying to grow. That's the only thing, man. You can't put it number one because it looks a little, little weird. Anyway, it's fine. So let's focus on that. Number one, what's, we got, what's four more? You know, some sort of like affiliate type relationship. So something that I personally use that I like um, and slipping that into either the podcast or the email list or... All right. So you can get, you can promote, I don't like affiliate, it sounds so dirty, but promote cool products, partnerships. Yeah. I mean, you said all your people are DIY over 45, right? Yeah. Right. What are they using to organize all this stuff themselves? Organize their finances. Yeah. You know, the big one we always hear about is mint.com, which they have a free version. So, and then a lot of them like to, I think, like to try a lot of different things. So they have Schwab account, they have a personal capital account, they have a wealthfront account, they have a betterment account. Uh, so they have stuff kind of spread all over. Keep going. Yeah, I need three more. So, you know, we focused on the podcast itself. The website doesn't get a ton of traffic, but we could probably change that pretty quickly. And perhaps there's something we could do on the website to monetize. Like what? Could be selling an ebook, could be selling a course. Again, DIYers. Here's a course on personal finance, retirement. What kind of course or ebook? Something retirement focused. So, you know, social security is always a big topic. Between the ages of like 55 and 70, there's thousands of things you could do to, to reduce taxes. So we love talking about reducing taxes and it's a hot topic. So, yeah. All right. What else? I've toyed with the idea of a private community, not Facebook or something. There are some websites that allow you to kind of create a private community and charge a subscription fee, 25 bucks a month or 50 bucks a month or something like that to collaborate with like-minded people, share ideas. You know, I can pop in and do webinars or live calls or things like that, but kind of a, a private place offline for people to connect and collaborate, share ideas. I do have a friend that's done something similar, but he has a much larger audience, which made his very successful, but it's something I've toyed with. And again, that was kind of like, do I build the tribe first and then move towards something like that? 
I don't want to try and do that too quickly and have this, you know, fall flat on my face. Who else can you copy? Like, so let's say Pat Flynn's of the world or like, you know, people that go to FinCon, like all our homies over there. Like, are there any other things that they've done? Yeah, Pat Flynn's awesome. I actually had Pat Flynn on the Stay Wealthy podcast back when I was focused on San Diego folks. I love what Pat has done with courses. And that's why I just kind of got my wheels turning there. Obviously, you know, it's a lot of work to build a course. So, um, yeah. And I don't want to do anything half ass. Yeah, my buddy at FinCon, or he's just a good friend in general, Roger Whitney, he has a podcast called Retirement Answer Man. And that's exactly what he did. He built the podcast for six years, built a, a healthy audience. And then he started a private community where I think he charges $500 a year. And he's got at least 100 people and they're now paying 500 bucks a year. So it's been a great way for him to monetize uh, without being really cheesy about it and adding a lot of value and his audience loves it. So that's kind of what got my wheels turning there. But again, he's been at it for six years. My podcast is just kind of getting going here. It does take long, I think, to create greatness, but there's also ways that people do stuff in shorter periods of time. Yeah. I read this book, Rocket Men by Robert Curson. He's going to be on the show. Oh, he is. I love it. Shadow Divers is one of my favorite books of all oh, time. Dude, all of yeah. his books are fire. Shadow Divers, Rocket Men, Pirate Hunters. I just downloaded uh, Crashing Through. I haven't read that one yet. Nice. But dude, we didn't know we can go to the moon and then these people risk their lives for it. Yeah. I mean, obviously, financial planning is not as risky. No, you're right. I mean, Free Solo, right? Did you see that movie? Yeah, that was scary. Shit. Same thing, right? He didn't know it was possible until other people started doing it. So could you do paid blogging? Couldn't like Kiplinger or some of these like large financial companies pay you? It's funny you say that somebody reached out like a legitimate person. It wasn't one of these like Russian bots emailing me, but like a legitimate person reached out and said, I love your blog. They probably saw our domain authority, which is pretty decent. And they wanted us to write a sponsored post. And they wanted to, of course, slip a few backlinks in there. And she said, how much would you charge? And so I just came up with a number. I emailed her back this morning saying 2000 bucks. I just kind of pulled that number out of nowhere. Sponsored post on your blog? They wanted me to write a blog post that's fitting for my audience. And then they, of course, wanted, you know, two or three backlinks in that post. Is it something that you could recommend or you wouldn't mind doing or do you mind doing it? She didn't mention any topics. She just said, I'd like you to write, you know, a post that's fitting for your demographic. They're after the links really is what they're after, right? They don't really care so much about the content. Is there a lot more people like them? Probably. I just hesitate. I don't want to be super cheesy with this stuff. You know, you can go down a, a weird rabbit hole in this community. And I just don't, I don't want to do that. I don't want to sacrifice like my morals and values to sell some backlinks to something that I don't believe in. So I hesitate a little bit, but maybe there's some quality avenues that, that I could go after. I'm, I'm not sure. It's a whole new world for me. You know, these like this tax planning, if my parents or another parents that are 55 and older, how much can you generally save them around tax planning? The challenge is, you know, we might make a tax move for you today that doesn't pay off for 15 years, right? This stuff is is boring and it requires patience and time and commitment. And so that's the hard part is we're going to do something today. We're going to make a tax tweak, but it could take 10 years to play out. It could be a six-figure tax savings, but it's going to take some time. That's the challenge. What's one of the bigger tax planning things that takes time or people are most surprised when you're like, hey, are you doing this one? And the biggest like, oh shit, I'm not. In your 60s, if you're, if you're done working, you don't have income anymore, you're generally in a pretty low tax bracket. Most of these retirees have most of their money in like 401ks, right? Their retirement plans. We like for them to delay social security, not because their benefit's going to be higher, but if they delay social security, it keeps them in a low tax bracket. And then they could take advantage of what we call Roth conversions. So they can convert money from their retirement accounts into Roth accounts, pay a really low tax rate while their social security is deferred. And that's really, really powerful. And again, I mean, you could save six figures over that time period if you do it right. And most people don't know about that. They hear that you should delay social security, but they don't know why you should delay social security. And so when you educate them about Roth conversions, 
if their eyes don't glaze over and they actually follow what we're talking about, once they realize the tax benefits of doing that and staying in a low tax bracket, then yeah, it's, it's something that most people don't know about. How much would that generally on average you think save people? Is that like $100 per person or is it 1000 Is it five figures? Just imagine converting, let's say $100,000 from your 401k and you convert it to a Roth and you're going to pay taxes on it today, but you're in a really low tax bracket. So maybe you're in a 20% tax bracket versus a 40%, like you're going to pay half the taxes on that money. So you could cut your tax bill in half on getting money out of that retirement account. So instead of 37%, 20%, so you're saving 17%, so 17,000? It's possible, yeah. We call it your gap years, the years between when you retire and when you take your RMDs could be 10 years of doing Roth conversions that could save you a lot of money. Two things that are crazy. One, when you're, I'm 37, so I'm around your age as well. We never think we're going to be 60. Oh, 60, that ain't never happening, but it is. And, and so like, even yesterday I was rebalancing my portfolio to put more in index funds. Cause I'm like in 20 years, I don't need it now. So like, let's just let it run for 20 years. The other thing I just want to highlight to you. And, and I think this, maybe you haven't realized it, Taylor, you said, I don't want to do the firm cause I want to do something separate even though you're still doing financial planning. And second, and I don't mean that as a, a knock on your whatsoever, <laughs> man. But I think the second thing is you're like, I, I don't want to trade my time for money. Uh-huh. And so I think we do, we need to be intentional about how are you diversifying away from those two things, which is time for money and a little bit outside of some of the financial planning. Just something I want to highlight because some of these things you still are, are trading your time for money. If you're writing blog posts or you're doing some of this stuff, like, a, a, you know, doing a private community, you're probably going to have to be moderating the community or hiring someone, which doesn't seem like you love hiring people. Yes, but I can do it from anywhere. I could be working from home. I could be traveling with my family. There's more flexibility on where I can work. You know, in my financial planning practice, I, I kind of have to be here. You know, clients become clients because they like me and want to work with me. Taylor, no one cares about you. <laughs> and you can run your firm from wherever. You're choosing not to. I think that was my point in my original thing is all the limitations around you believing you need to be local for your firm is on you. Yeah. And I don't mean this as critically. I'm just saying that that's the reality. Yeah. If you wanted to hire people or structure it in a way that there's people locally, but you're not, it's 100% doable. Yeah. It's just a hard decision and hard choices that you have to might take some time for them to, to pay off. I've tried virtual relationships. I just don't like it. I like the one-on-one face-to-face stuff in the office. So it's, it's definitely on me. I could do it. Well, what I'm saying with that is not that you shouldn't do it. I think there's parts of your business that you could move to remote, like someone running the company locally, and then you come in when you want to, sure. to be face-to-face with some of these clients that, that matter more to you. Let's stay on the podcast. Okay. All right. So we've got advertising on your show. We've got promote cool products on your show and get paid for that. Sponsored posts on your blog, sell an ebook or course, free analysis. That was just something I was, I don't know what I was thinking, but I was like, you have all these DIYers. Like, I think there's something there where, hey, I know you don't want to give me any money and you want to do everything yourself. Why don't you talk to me for free? And I'll just give you recommendations. And I make money when you go do any of my recommendations, but you don't have to do any of them. I make money if they take my recommendations. Okay. There's this thing in software world. There's a few different companies. What they do is you come in and you fill out all these forms and you say the things that you want solved and they just tell you where to go, like what tools can help you do that. And they don't charge you anything and they just get a cut of the software from that provider. And so there's literally no cost to you whatsoever. So I was thinking there could be some of that where like, hey, I'll recommend things for you to go do. You don't even have to do anything, but if you do use this stuff, I get a little cut and you can be totally straight up about that. So it's kind of a way of giving your services or hiring people to do your services, getting your cut. And I kind of like these transactions in general where there's no loser. There's not someone that's like, ah, I have to lose. But anyways, that's one of them. And the last one is private community. So which one can we do by the end of the month to make at least $100 that you feel comfortable doing and you're actually going to go do? I feel like the low-hanging fruit is to see if I could find an advertiser for the podcast. 
yeah, I just don't know if that's played out, if it's annoying to listeners. I'm not sure. And again, I don't, I don't know if I have an audience large enough for it. But if I found an advertiser that was fitting for the audience and was willing to pay me, that could be some low-hanging fruit there. Okay. Here's two things I'd like you to go do. Okay. You write for Kiplinger. Who else do you write for? That's about it. I have relationships with some other journalists that I can pitch to. Here's what I would go do. Go to Kiplinger and the other blogs related to retirement planning and go look at their ads. Okay. And just see which ads you see. And then I want you to just contact those companies. Okay. That's it. And then do some Google searches for keywords related to you, like financial planning software or things that your people are probably searching for. These people are already showing, raising their hand saying, I sponsor things. Okay. We can even do one now. Like I'm trying to find one on Kiplinger because I do want to practice to you how you're pitching them and how you're finding the person. Okay. I'm just looking through the different pages to see different ads. Oh, they have a whole section sponsored financial content. So let's say we find a few of these people. How are we going to actually go contact them today? Cold call them or cold email them. Well, how are you going to find that person? I think this is the, the juice I want because I want you to feel a little bit more prepared so that you can go into it and make sure we get some results. I don't know. I mean, I've never tried to hunt these people down. So I would just work through my network and get a referral to one of these people or just dig for their information and send them a cold email or call them. Do you have a better idea? <laughs> no, I guess what I was trying to think is a few different things. Number one, is anyone in your audience working at some of these companies? Oh, here's a few ideas. So number one, do you think it makes sense to email your audience asking if there's advertisers in it? Or does that seem strange? Maybe, but I, again, my email list is pretty small, so I could say something on the podcast, but the email list isn't going to get us anywhere. Would it make sense for you to say it on the podcast or is that kind of weird right now? I could say it in my own way and maybe accomplish the same thing. I'd have to think about that. What I would probably do is just look at these advertisers. It looks like Motley Fool, UBS. These are really big companies. Vanguard, Aberdeen, AOD.com. I'm trying to figure out how to get their advertisers. Personally, I just look on LinkedIn and see who's doing their marketing. I could also think about other podcasts that have a similar type audience. I love that. Who's that? I don't know many retirement type podcasts that have sponsors. That's going to be the challenge. What's interesting is some of the podcasts that I'm aware of, they have one major sponsor, right? Like Masters in Business is sponsored by Bloomberg. Like it's Bloomberg's podcast, but the guy who hosts it, a financial advisor out in New York, Jill Schlesinger, she was the host of the Betterment podcast. So it was like Betterment's podcast, but she hosted it. So I start to think of something like that where a company would just want to take it over and be just the title sponsor. I mean, I think I'm so like connected in my industry. I don't think it's going to be that hard to find the right person. If I needed to get a hold of somebody at Vanguard, I know several people there already. I think I could find my way to the right person. Dude, I love that. So let's try to find a sponsor by the end of the month. Okay. The second thing I want to do is either the free analysis. I either want you to do the free analysis or personally, you're thinking about turning... 401ks into Roth conversion. You probably have a bunch of stuff like that, I'm guessing. Yep, I do. I have a guide. I mean, I have like a six, seven page guide on it. And is that public or private? You can give me your email address. There's a pop up for it. I mean, how valuable is that if they actually took action on it? I think it's extremely valuable. I think it's a piece of content that I'm really, really, really proud of. How would you feel about emailing that out to your audience and telling like just selling three of them? Yeah, but the, the, yeah, the challenge is the people on our email list got on the email list because they downloaded the, this tax guide I'm telling you about. We'll stop giving that one away for free. Okay. <laughs> Look, I'm not trying to reduce things and just, uh, but yeah. I, my point here is that like we can grow your audience forever, but if we're having trouble now trying to make a little bit of money from it, it's not going to get easier. I think it's a really good point. That's something that just I really have not thought of. So I really appreciate that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's funny. Some of these calls are really easy. I think the calls where they're already making money, it's easier because it's just like, let's just keep doing more of stuff and cut some things, which is it can yeah. be your firm. That's why I chose you because you're starting out, uh, this podcast. If you're starting out, 
I think most people are doing similar to you, which is like, I needed my audience to be gigantic before I even make money. Mm -hmm. But frankly, if you're targeting people that have over a million dollars and are older, email your audience, hey, get on a call. I'm going to spend an hour with you. It's 100% free. I can't even, you can't even give me money. Say that literally verbatim. You can't even give me money. If you'd like to donate after the call, you're welcome to, but I don't expect anything. I kind of like that. And then eventually you can just have them talk to other people in your firm or other people anywhere and let them donate to you. I think that's even kind of cool. Like let them just get some hella value and be like, yeah, let's, I'll do a free analysis of your finances because this is your jam. You know it well. Yeah. Tell them the things that you need to do and then they can feel free to donate. They don't have to. Yeah, that's definitely more my style than trying to sell a product or something like that. But again, like it's not solving the trading time for money thing if I'm having these phone calls. Yes and no. I think what's missed out a lot of times people are like, well, I need an ebook to sell around the clock. That is not trading your time for money. Anyone can do it, right? So either A, the book sells for you all the time, or B, the software is running, so they pay for the software, or C, it's another human who's doing it, and they you share the revenue with them, or you pay them hourly for them to do that. Yeah. I think people have this misconception that passive income only means through some type of digital product. True. Your software or your blog and your podcast should be growing around the clock that provide people that then your service could then not necessarily you be selling around the clock. I think that's just missed. People have this kind of narrow focus around it has to be a ebook. So for me, for instance, like here's a, a, an interesting example. I created that book. I don't I think you got it, which was like, a yeah, things the rich people don't tell you. And I just put it together for myself. And then I emailed them like I tweeted about it and people went crazy. And then I was like, Oh, well, I'll sell it a little bit. People seem to like it. And what's interesting is like, now I just have it in my autoresponder. And some people, you know, maybe I sell like one every few days. And so it doesn't make me a shit ton of money, but I'm not doing, I did a lot of work and I just wanted it for myself. And then I put it in my autoresponder. So now every like maybe once a week or twice a week, someone buys it. So it could be something like that, right? Like you turn your book and you put it in a sequence that after people have been on your list for two weeks, they've learned a lot and they say, hey, if you want an even more advanced thing, this is X dollars. But it also could be, hey, I'll do a free analysis. So I'd like for you at least to try to get on two calls and just do donation based. I can do that. I like that. You have to get one advertiser. Ooh, that's gonna be tough. <laughs> And B, get on two calls by the end of the month. And then C, I'd like for you to come back with some more clarity about what you want to do with your firm. Okay. It's not a bad answer or wrong answer if you say, hey, I just want to keep it the way it is. But you personally said, I love my firm. I want to keep doing some of it, but just not all of it. And I want to be more location depend independent. That's what you're telling me. Yeah, I don't want to travel the world or anything, but I want to have that flexibility and freedom. And so I think you really need to figure out what you need to change in your firm so you can have that. Okay. One advertiser, two calls. And C, you need to pick a, some solution around moving forward with your firm. How do you can have more of that location defense that you would with what you would like for yourself? Okay, it's gonna be tough, but I think I can do it. What do you think is gonna be the most tough? Probably the advertiser, but I think I can do it still. You know, for me, the hard part is just finding something that matches up with something I believe in. I don't want to just find an advertiser just to find an advertiser. Yeah, I think I'm gonna make a list of just ten advertisers that will that I believe in that will be fitting for my audience and just work through that list. You know, back to my comment about do we take some baby steps today towards monetization? Like if I could triple my email list in the next four weeks, now I've got an email list to really market to and offer up some of these ideas to, but I don't really have that today. That was kind of my internal debate was, do I take these baby steps and push the monetization aside? Yeah, I think you need to take the baby steps on the monetization in the beginning. And then after it works, then ramp it up. Got it. Because like, why ramp up your email list for something that's unknown? Yeah. I think you could say, well, other people have email lists and they make money. And it, so if I get a bigger email list, it's like, well, that's stupid. <laughs> and I think sometimes people mis misinterpret what I'm encouraging, which is like, I have to make money and you're telling me to sell everything and I don't want to be aggressive. It's like, I don't want to be aggressive. Yeah. 
And I don't want anyone to buy anything that makes me feel uncomfortable. I just want you to know that you have a destination or a vision of where you want to be and that the steps that you're taking today help really get you to that look, that destination. Yeah. So you know that you're, you're moving in the right direction. Yeah, that's no, good stuff. It's really helpful. All right, brother, I've got to get rocking. So it's on my calendar to follow up with you in four weeks. You have my number. I'd love to know ongoing, like, hey, this happened, this went well. I think the thing for myself personally and for the audience, what worked and what didn't work. That's actually the big thing. And it's not about the show. It's really for yourself and what you want to do. But I think that's what I'm really looking forward to about like, hey, I tried ads, didn't get anybody. I tried these calls that actually didn't work either. But then I tried this other thing and that worked. And then with my company, I realized like, I'm just going to keep it the way it is. And I'm scared or not scared, but I'm happy with the status quo. Or like, I realize there's a few things I can change to give myself a little bit more freedom. And I'm testing it out in this way. I like all of that. I think I'll have some good stuff. Dude, you're the man. Taylor, I appreciate you. Thank you for coming on, dog. I'm here. You can text me or email me. And uh, I'm looking forward to hearing back about your journey. Thanks, man. I appreciate you having me on. All right, brother. Have a great day. All right. Well, that's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, let me know with an iTunes review or send me an email podcast at okdork.com. You can go check out more of Taylor at the You Stay Wealthy podcast. Thank you, Jason from podcasttech.com for making this sound so damn good. David, Dean, you are the man as well. Our new person, Sean, thank you for kicking ass and starting to help out with all the podcast dork sumo world that we're in. Have an amazing fucking day. What's your favorite type of food?